Stand with me in the honor of reading God's word from Hebrews chapter 7. Start in verse 9. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is written of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So growing up in Missouri as a kid... Uh, and still to this day, I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. And uh, all right, a few Cardinals fans, okay, all right, we travel together. Um, and uh, a cu- I had a couple opportunities as a kid to go onto the field and into the dugout. And this was uh, the, the mid-late 90s, uh, and there's this picture of me that, that kind of uh, circulates through my family, but not like, not like pictures like on iPhone, obviously. It's like one of those like old school pictures, you know, where you actually had to take it to like Walgreens. Yeah, anyway, um, it's like one of those pictures. And this picture circulates, and it's me in the dugout, right? My favorite player was Ozzie Smith, okay, shortstop. Uh, but I was in the dugout, right, little kid, and there is the manager. At that time, his name was Tony LaRussa. If you're a baseball fan, you know Tony LaRussa. He's like this old guy. He's real super crotchety, okay? Um, so I was in there talking to Tony LaRussa. And so there's this picture of me talking to Tony LaRussa. And you see Tony LaRussa in the picture, and he kind of looks like this, like, okay? And everybody's like, well, this is really funny. Kind of like, what was going on? Like, what was the conversation? Well, the conversation was I wanted to go further back in beyond the dugout into the locker room. Okay, as a kid, I just wanted to go back there because I knew like Ozzy and the guys were back there. So I didn't want to hang out with Tony LaRusso. Nobody wants to hang out with the manager. Like I wanted to go in the back. And so that picture is Tony LaRusso scolding me for trying to get into the locker room, trying to get back where I didn't have access, right? Access. It's, it's a funny thing, right? Like in our hearts, um, we are a people who want access. You see, there were two things that I lacked in that dugout. One, standing. Okay. Like I had no standing. I was some punk little kid just visiting. Okay. Like I didn't have a Jersey. I wasn't on the team. I wasn't on the coaching staff. I wasn't a trainer. And the second thing I also lacked was an invitation. I had an invitation to the dugout to walk on the field and like sniff the grass. But I had also an invitation to leave once I had done that. Right. Like if you tried to visit the queen of England or see her gain access to her, it ain't going to happen. I'm just going to tell you that. Right. Unless what you have standing. Or you have an invitation from her. You see, Hebrews chapter 7, what I just read, and really the chapter as a whole, 
lays before you and me an invitation. An invitation to access. And the whole crescendo, really, of Hebrews 7, it works together for this incredible moment of invitation. And the invitation comes in, and listen, typically a crescendo in a sermon would be somewhere later, but I'm going to lead with it, okay? The whole crescendo of, of Hebrews 7 is the invitation at the end, verse 19 of what I just read. The invitation is this, draw near to God. Hebrews 7 is not talking about Ozzie Smith getting access, or Tony Larusa, or the Queen of England, or the President, or anybody else on this earth. Hebrews 7 is talking about access to the God of the universe. A God who is completely perfect, holy, other, righteous, in other words, completely different than you and me. And Hebrews 7 just announced what I read is that you and me have access to that kind of God. Now the question becomes, how do we have access? And well, Hebrews 7 is this introduction to this, this mysterious figure named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, if you want to know more about him, you can listen to last week's teaching. I went into more detail on who he is, but his name gets brought up again here. He's a super mysterious figure from Genesis chapter 14 and Psalm 110, where David talks about him. But he's brought back up here nearly a thousand years later after David writes a messianic psalm in Psalm 110 about the priesthood of Melchizedek. An interesting thing about Melchizedek is that he was not just a priest, but he was a king. You remember that last week? It says that he was a king. He was a king of righteousness. Literally, his name means my king is righteousness. My name, his name means righteousness. But he wasn't just a king of righteousness. It says he was also the king of peace. He was the king of Salem. Salem is the word where we get shalom or, or peace. So he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. But more than all of those things, he was a type. He was a shadow. A type meaning it's something that the Bible uses, us, uses to point us to a greater hope or a greater reality. That that shadow, that king of righteousness and that king of peace, it needs to be fulfilled. It needs to be fulfilled in a fullness. And the fullness is Jesus, right? Class, yes, the answer is always Jesus. The fullness, it's the fulfillment of it is the fullness of who Christ is. He is the true king of righteousness and the true king of, of peace. And so as we continue to journey in Hebrews 7, it brings up now Melchizedek's priesthood, if you will. And not just the priesthood of Melchizedek, but also the Old Testament priesthood. Because the, the audience of Hebrews 7 in the whole book of Hebrews is an audience of Jewish Christians. Their whole lives were about how we had or they had access to God through a priest, through a man. The way that they accessed God was not directly. They did not have direct access to draw near to God. They had access to God through a high priest. That was their whole system. And so that's why this really would have been earth shattering to them when the writer of Hebrews goes, no, listen. You have access. You have access. You have access. You no longer need to go through an earthly priest to access or to draw near to God. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that, that even that high priest only had access to draw near to God one time a year. On the Day of Atonement, right? Where he would make sacrifices for his sin and the sins of the people. 
And so the writer of Hebrews totally blows that up and goes, no, listen, you have an invitation put out by the holy, perfect God for you to access and be in relationship with him anytime. Right? This is Christ where it says that that the veil was torn in the temple. The writer of Hebrews is going, listen, that veil that was torn provided you access and that torn veil is now replaced with an anchor. An anchor for you that is steadfast. That's Hebrews chapter 6. But how do we access God the Father? You see, again, growing up in Missouri, I grew up in a largely German community. And, And a lot of my friends and family, they still believe to this day that the way in which you have access to God is through a a man, a, a priest, someone who has to mediate on your behalf to God. I, mean, I, I, am, I am not a priest. We as pastors and elders, we're not priests. We're pastors. We're shepherd. We, we open the word of God. We, we shepherd the flock. But we are not the, the conduit by which you get to God. Jesus is our high priest. He is the mediator. He is the way in which you have access. That's what the book of Hebrews is laying out time and time again. And so here in Hebrews chapter 7, he is doubling down on this invitation to not just these Hebrew Christians, but to us here in the Parks Church. The invitation is to draw near. And so he wants to bolster the confidence. Well, we have to go through the text and let's be faithful to the text. And the way he's going to bolster the confidence and the invitation to access and draw near is by he's, he's going to point from verses 11 to verse 14, the insufficient priesthood of the Old Testament. Look at it in verse, verse 11. It says, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, so that's the, the line in, in the Old Testament, um, uh, uh, that the priest came, foot, came from, if that would have been able to accomplish what the Lord wanted it to accomplish, why in the world would he need to send another line? True? Like if, if the Old Testament priests were able to give us access the way in which God intended it, why do we need another line? Why do we need a great high priest? And the reason would be, answer, it's insufficient. They can't bring about the thing that we need. They can't provide the way and the access that God desires for his people to have. It's insufficient. That's why David would write literally a thousand years after Genesis 14, he would write that Psalm 110. Like Messiah, the coming savior, is going to come from a new order, a new line, the line of Melchizedek. And so there's an interesting word here in verse 11. It's the third word. It says, now if perfection... If perfection would have been attainable, when you think of the word perfection, what comes to mind? Kind of like this idea of wholeness, maybe, or or maybe if you're a believer, it's like sinlessness, like perfection. Like maybe for some of you, it's like impossible comes to mind when I think about perfection, right? That's that's okay. That's right. But the word perfection here, and this is um, a commentator on Hebrews, F.F. Bruce. He's phenomenal in writing on Hebrews. He says that the word perfection or perfected here actually means unimpeded access to God and unbroken communion with him. So when when Hebrews 7 is talking about perfection, it's talking about access. It's talking about unimpeded access to God and unbroken communion with him. Let me tell you, whether you're a believer here or you're a non-believer, your heart, at the, at the very most foundational level of your heart, what you long for, 
is unimpeded access to God, is unbroken worship of him. Let me submit to you that the the biggest problem that sin caused in Genesis 3 was not a behavior problem. Behavior, sinful behaviors are just evidence or fruit of a sinful heart. The biggest problem caused in Genesis 3 was a distance problem, a separation problem. That is the biggest problem of sin, is what happened in Genesis prior to Genesis 1, Genesis 2, is that Adam and Eve, they were with God unimpeded, right? It was this beautiful fellowship. It was this beautiful communion and worship. And they, they talked together and they, they walked together. I mean, it was, it was just this incredible scene. And then what happens? Boom. Genesis 3 happens. Sin enters the world. And what? This chasm arises. This distance, this separation that sin caused. And so our hearts, they long for that chasm to be made up. They long for that access from the garden to be true again. Whether you're a believer or not believer, that's what's happening in your heart. You long in your, in your depth of your heart, you're longing for peace and shalom with God again. Now, how you go about it, how you're trying to get it is all over the map. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that it is insufficient for you to go through a man to think that you can have access to God again, to go through an earthly priest. Now, I don't think I'm getting any pushback or emails this week with anybody disagreeing with me in this room anyway about the insufficiency of the priesthood of the Old Testament. I just don't think we're going to struggle with that. We're like, yeah, I think it was insufficient. So let me say it maybe a more practical way to see how we're equally um, kind of offending or how we equally struggle with this in our, in our own language. I want to use the word religion instead of priesthood. The insufficiency of religion to accomplish access with God. To respond to the invite of God to draw near to him, that religion is insufficient to accomplish that. What do I mean by religion? Religion meaning sin management. Religion being behavior modification, like I will do this or I won't do that. Religion meaning more sacrifice, sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice, more disciplined living, more nonprofits started, more philanthropy, more, more help giving, more, more serving, right? Listen to me. All of those things are really, really good. They just don't get you access before a holy and righteous God. And all of you are like, yeah, I, I know that, Kyle. But is that how you functionally live? I think functionally, intellectually, we know this. Intellectually, we know that we don't get access before God the Father based upon our deeds. However, functionally in our lives, we live that out every single day. No one draws near to God because of what you do. Jesus, in fact, in in, in John chapter 14, verse 6, at the end of it, he says, listen, no one comes to the Father except through Another way I do, is it there? No, oh, it's, it's actually behind me. You don't even have to know your Bible. Just read it, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. No one has, another word, no one has access. No one can draw near except through me. Except we live our lives functionally all the time going, no, here's how I'm going to draw near to God. Here's how God is going to be pleased with me. Here's what I'm going to do. We live constantly reinforcing our own self-sufficiency and autonomy. And if we would allow our functional lives to be read, here's what they would say. 
I don't need to be near to God. The access, it's just good in theory because I've got it all under control. That's religion. Religion cannot and will not ever provide you unimpeded and unbroken communion with God. What religion does is it simply avoids Christ as Savior. If religion is the way we relate to God, then I don't need Jesus. And that is a lie. You say, Kyle, well then why do we have nearly, I mean, goodness, a third of our Bible about the law? About the do's and don'ts? You ever think about that? The book that you hold, there's so much in there. The law. What good is it? Why why do I even have it if it can't provide me access? Well, here's what the scriptures say about themselves, about the law. James in particular and Paul also in other places is that the law of God is a mirror. That when we come to these pages that talk about the law and talk about the commandments and the precepts of God, they are meant to be a mirror where we look into them and we go, oh no, I can't stack up. Oh no, I can't fulfill that. You go to your your New Testament where Jesus talks about the law and the Sermon on the Mount particularly. And he goes, you want to talk about the Big Ten? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about about murder. Oh, you think because you haven't killed somebody that you haven't committed murder, you haven't fallen into that sin? How about hate? How are you doing there? Or adultery? How's your heart with lust? Or all of these other things. Have you you done these things? And what happens? And we go, no, I'm guilty as charged, Right? It does away with our pride that thinks that we can some way behavior modify ourselves to have access to a holy and righteous God. We go, no, it's impossible. And the law shows us that. It's a mirror to reveal who we are. It's a mirror that shows us we need a great high priest. We need a mediator. And it being a man here on earth, meaning you, me, or any other priest, is insufficient. But praise be to God, there's another section in Hebrews 7, right? That God doesn't leave us with an insufficient priest. Let's look at this in verses 15 through 19. It says, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. There he is again. Who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible Life, okay? So some real kind of complex language here. Simply what the writer of Hebrews is doing is this, is he's showing you that the priesthood of the Old Testament, all, nearly all of their qualifications, you can look them up in Leviticus chapter 20, all of their qualifications were external. All external. They have to be from, 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 from the, tri- the, the Levitical tribe. They have to be um, a, 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 even a certain height. They can't have a scar on their face. They, all those things. Look at it in Leviticus 20, right? They were all external qualifications. But what do we know? And I mentioned this last week. What do we know about all of the Old Testament priests? They were born and they had an end. And what Hebrews is saying is, listen, church, we don't need external qualified men to be our advocates. What we need more than anything is one who has the power of indestructible life. What man has that quality? Indestructible? One. Jesus. 
There is only one who carries the qualification and the power of what Hebrews 7 says is an indestructible life. You want to be a new priest? You want to be the great high priest? You want to be the one to whom everyone must go through? You have to defy death. You have to rise from the dead. You have to be eternal. And let me tell you, there is only one person in the planet with that line on his resume, and his name is Jesus, and he is our high priest. He's our mediator. He's our conqueror. There's nothing too big for him. There's no power he cannot not overcome. There's no power in heaven or on earth that can come against him. With Christ, like there is no, no kryptonite hiding, waiting for him. He lives forever at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. That's our high priest. That's the one that we go to. That's the one who, who is our mediator. And then let's land this plane here in verse 18, all the way to the end. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. You want to talk about religion? It's weak and useless. That perfectly describes it. For the law made nothing perfect. The law was not able, in other words, to bring you the unimpeded access to God the Father that you and I so desperately want. But, one of the greatest words in all of our Bible... But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. There's a better word. There's a better way. There's a new priest on the scene. And his name is Jesus. Praise be to God that we have a better hope through which we draw near to God. And so there at the end of verse 19... You should probably underline it in your Bible. We have one of the greatest invitations on the planet. If you truly believe that we have access to God the Father through Christ, the practice or true belief of you understanding the access you have is evidenced by you actually practicing drawing near to God. How have you responded to that incredible reality to draw near to God? So there's drawing near to God, obviously, through Christ and salvation, which the Lord is beckoning and pleading for some of you to do this morning. He's calling you. He's drawing you. He's brought you into this place, not by accident, but to say, draw near to me. Believers, this morning, he's calling you equally as passionately to draw near to him. You see, when we draw near to God, because some of you have a misconception of who God is. You say, I know I have access, but I don't know that I want to step into that drawing near thing. Because I know my heart, I know my life, I know, I know what I'm currently caught up in. And I'm going to be met with like this cosmic hammer, right? Lightning or whatever. You want to know what you're met with? I read this in the 9 a.m. Um, hit me while we were worshiping. Isaiah 30, and some of you need to memorize this. You want to know what you're met with? Hear this. No matter what you're caught up in, no matter where you are, no matter how far away you feel you are, Isaiah 30, verse 18, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Does that sound like a crotchety old God up in heaven? Or does that sound like a loving father that our hearts yearn for? 
For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. You know what you find when you draw near to God? You find mercy. You find grace. Hebrews has already said this. In your time of need. You find a father who loves you. That's the kind of access, listen to me, that's the kind of access you have and that's the kind of reception you will have when you draw near to him every single time. And you're like, well, maybe, but I'm in this. He'll meet you with mercy and grace. Because what about this sin? What about this struggle? What about this pain? He will meet you with grace and mercy. He longs to do that. He longs to meet you right where you are. The problem is that we know intellectually about the access, but we never functionally draw near to God. We go, God, I know I have access to you, but we never actually leverage the access. And so this morning, when you come into a text like this and you have such a clear invitation, it is almost wrong for us not to respond to the invitation. It's, it's actually probably, in fact, mean to go, isn't this a beautiful invitation? Go on your merry way and enjoy the cowboys, right? When what God is holding out before this faith family is going, I just talked about the access you have. Draw near. Bring your pain. Bring your pride. Bring your struggle. Bring your issues. And you'll be met with grace and mercy in your time of need. And so I want our elders um, with their wives to come down front here. Um, in one of the, you guys can come now. Um, one of the things I know that we wrestle with as a people, as believers, as a church particularly, is going, it's great we have access. But how, how do we actually draw near to God? How, how do we draw near to him? Well, let me tell you, we drew near in our singing. We drew near in the word. And we draw near in prayer. Prayer is the chief avenue by which we draw near to God. And I know that's one of those things that so many of us struggle with. And I'm convinced we struggle with it because the enemy knows the power of it. He knows the power that comes when a people humble themselves and draw near to God. I'm also convinced that another reason we struggle with drawing near to God is because we are so unpracticed at it. For some of you, the only time you draw near to the Lord is once a week for a 75-minute window, and sometimes I go 80, and we're like, oh, man. The Lord wants, you have access to him always through Christ. He wants to commune with, his, with, with you as a son or you as his daughter all the time. Not just in your time of need, but all the time. And so this morning, we're going to end service here, and I'm going to pray for us. And then we're just going to leave space in this service to respond to the invitation to draw near to God in prayer. And I've called down the elders and their wives here because these, these are the chief shepherds, the chief servants of this community, of this church. And the Bible tells us to do this in the book of James. Any among you sick or in need, call for the elders of the church. They might join with you in prayer. And so these men and women are here to pray on your behalf with you, not as mediators, but as co-laborers with you to seek God. Listen, whether that's a huge issue in your life, a huge pain, maybe it's just you're struggling with a decision or whatever. Maybe you want to celebrate. Come down here. Church, 
God is doing something in our faith family. Like, he, he, it, it's just under the surface right now, right? It's that groundwork. He's, he's tilling something, and he's going to give way to something really, really beautiful. But it's going to take us submitting to him. Submitting in those hard places, him stretching us, us drawing near. Listen, it's in his presence that we get clarity. It's not in more uh, knowledge accumulation. It's in his presence when we draw near where we get clarity. We've had some incredible things this week. Two weeks ago, we've been praying for Charlie Rhodes. Um, You know, the little 10-year-old girl who's suffering so much. Last month, she went into the hospital for her treatment and they had to wheel her in because her body was so weak. They had to wheel her into the hospital and children. Talked to her dad two weeks ago and she was back for another treatment. And he said, Kyle, her difference, where she went in wheeled before, this treatment she went in walking and in full strength. Church, the Lord is answering our prayers. Another friend um, in this faith family, four weeks ago coming down, for prayer with Sam and I. He just retired, young guy, he just retired from his job. And he received a diagnosis that he had late stages of Alzheimer's showing up. And uh, he's like devastated as you would be, as I would be. And so Sam and I, we didn't have the word, we didn't have words. We said, we're just gonna pray and ask the Lord to heal you. He came back down front last week to pray after service. He said, guys, he said, I had two more tests after that. And oh yeah, by the way, the first test was confirmed by a family member who was a physician. He said, I had two more tests after that. He said, the middle test was kind of inconclusive. He said, but then that third test showed that there was nothing there. <clears throat> Access. Stories of God moving in financial situations, stories of God comforting people who have lost. Carolyn Taylor, who's in our 9 a.m., lost her husband of 60 plus years. And you know, this holiday season, when you, when you lose people, it's like even, it's like multiplied. And she's able to stand and worship Jesus with a joy that is infectious. Why? Because she draws near to the source. There's many people in here grieving, loss and hurt and pain. I know your stories. Listen, the invitation for you this morning, draw near. Draw near to the comforter. Come before him. He wants to meet you there with mercy and grace. And you'll find it. And so I'm gonna pray for us. And and then we're gonna pray together. And I hope that these aisles are full of people who just want to join our faith together and draw near to God. Father, um, I thank you that even in this prayer, I'm more confident that it doesn't fall on deaf ears for a God who is distant, but a God who is close to his people. God, you took the initiation and drew close to us. Emmanuel, literally your son is God with us. And because you drew near to us, you can rightfully extend the invitation through him to draw near to you. Oh God, I pray that you would forgive us as a community. God, for both ignorantly, unknowingly, and sometimes willingly rejecting the invitation to draw near to you. Oh God, I pray this morning for more stories of your grace and your power to move throughout this faith family. More stories of comfort 
in healing, in freedom, in power to pervade this community of faith. Lord, you're doing something. You're rattling us. You're shaking us in the best of ways. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to get out of the way and to let you have full effect. Let us draw near to you so that we may be absorbed in who you are. Father, I love you. I thank you for this faith family. God, may we continue by faith to live and love you and draw near to you this week. I love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.